Hey, this is Regan Bach, Managing Partner at Better Faster Further. And I wanted to take a second to welcome you to the Better Faster Further podcast. Whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us since the beginning, we're so thankful that you're here. We know that time is limited and we truly appreciate each and every one of you and want to thank you for listening. Hey everyone, this is Adam Odosky. I'm part of the core team at Better Faster Further and co-host of the podcast. With every episode, we'll feature inspiring stories from bright business minds, accomplished athletes, and inspiring leaders. We'll provide insights, tools, and takeaways to help you expand your capacity. We'll also take it a step further and really try to uncover the deep, hard to reach, and often unexplored places of the human experience. Things like overcoming obstacles, failure, facing fears, pushing through the hard stuff, and ultimately highlighting the growth, opportunity, and lessons learned that comes from choosing the path less traveled. As a serial entrepreneur and now executive coach, ultra endurance athlete, and health coach, I know these discussions are worth their weight in gold. Welcome back, or if this is your first time, welcome to the Better Faster Further podcast. We are back yet again for a guest that we are so excited about. His name is Dr. Dan Turner, and we'll get more into Dan in just a moment. But a quick announcement to make, Regan Bach, whose voice you're very accustomed to hearing by now, uh, was unable to join us today. So my name is Adam. I'm part of the core leadership team at Better Faster Further and also co-host of the podcast. So on today's conversation, it will be uh, Dan and I talking all things human optimization. And so some of you might be wondering how, how Dan and Better Faster Further got connected. Well, as most people who listen to this podcast know, you know, almost everybody on our team comes from an athletic background and we're highly interested in, you know, optimized performance. And what does that mean? You know, for the executive coaching and the leadership development that we do in the work world, that can mean all things mindset. It can mean new processes. It can mean how to develop a high-performing team, communication, accountability, trust building, things of that nature. On the athletic side, that can mean nutrition. It can also mean mindset. It can mean spirit. It can mean overall health and wellness, rest, recovery, things of that nature. And because we're so interested, and some of us have competed at a high level in, in sport, we're interested in taking a look at business and executives in business and working with people to approach the workday as professional athletes do their game day. And so in starting to explore what that could look like for uh, a program for some of our clients, we reached out to first uh, Scott Evans at Athlete Blood Test, who I have personally used Athlete Blood Test, that is, a few times to prepare for the long ultra endurance races. Starting with a, a very good understanding of where your internal biomarkers lie helps you understand you know, what's working or not working from a nutrition standpoint, a supplement standpoint, a recovery standpoint, things of that nature. And so that was our, our, our starting point to figure out how can we start to think differently about programs in leadership development and executive coaching. And through Scott, we, we got to meet Dan and, um, just to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit, and we may get into it a little bit today. We are exploring, what a program can look like in partnership with Athlete Blood Test and Dr. Dan Turner. So enough about that. Let's talk a little bit about Dan and then, and then we'll get his voice in here. So as mentioned, uh, Dan is a doctor. He's a PhD and he's also a founder and a human performance specialist. His PhD is in human physiology with specialties in behavior change and lifestyle optimization. He's got a passion to help people achieve ambitious goals in their life and career. 
For over a decade, Dan has coached thousands of high-performing people, helping prepare their body and mind to thrive in extremely demanding environments. That includes 320 world champion and Olympic athletes, business professionals, neurosurgeons, medical doctors, founders, CEOs, Hollywood actors, cybersecurity hackers, Navy SEALs, uh, other coaches, scientists, and even a world-class chess player. Dan co-founded the world's first precision human optimization program for 15 of America's top neurosurgeons at Mount Sinai Hospital. Some of what you'll learn about today. His approach to human optimization is at the intersection of science, technology, and coaching. He and his team merge biometrics with physiological insights to design holistic programs for both individuals and teams that drive innovation, connectedness, and optimal wellness. Dan is incredibly adept at regeneration strategies, nutrition, herbology, physical conditioning for endurance sports, and mental performance tactics. And his day-to-day involves building an AI advisor for team optimization, traveling the world, coaching clients, and speaking with people in search of greatness, and of course, forever learning how to take care of himself, loved ones, and the planet. So that's Dan in a nutshell. We're going to turn it over to Dan in just a second, but I'm sure just based on that introduction and a little background on Dan, Everybody listening can understand why our team at Better Faster Further is incredibly excited about this conversation. So enough of enough of the introduction. Dan, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Really nice to be here. Uh, what what a what an intro. I feel very honored and inspired to be here. And I'm very excited to be chatting with you today, mate. Yeah, well, that goes both ways. So so tell us, Dan, where are you in the world? Where are you uh, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from uh, Los Angeles, California. I've been here for about eight years now, uh, but originally from Scotland. Well, well, tell us. I mean, if you don't mind, uh, I'm curious to learn more about you know sort of your upbringing, your personal background, and I'm sure our listeners are too, especially with that uh, killer accent that you've got going on. So tell us, what was it like growing up in Scotland? <laughs> yeah, there are uh, some Scottish tones coming through at times, I'm sure. Um, yeah, um, my story definitely started in uh, in Edinburgh. So shout out for Edinburgh for anybody who's uh, listening and been there before. It's a great city. Definitely recommend you go check it out, especially at New Year's. But yeah, I uh, I, I grew up in a small village of about four hundred individuals, and um, grew up pretty pretty poor, pretty um, pretty like limited resources financially, um, pretty poverty stricken area in uh, in Scotland. And I uh, have two younger sisters and a mom. And um, yeah, pretty much odds were against me doing <laughs> very much in the world. But I like to think that along the way, I met a lot of very influential people. And they definitely helped me and inspire me in my path to get to where I have done now. And like you said in, in my introduction, I'm very, um, very honored to be able to have worked with such extraordinary humans over the years. But yeah, so... Essentially, I progressed from, you know, Scotland. Um, and then I went to, I was, uh, I, I ended up getting nationally ranked as a swimmer in Scotland. So um, 100 freestyle, 200 fly were my, my events. Um, I enjoyed the 100 freestyle, didn't enjoy the 200 fly so much. So was butterfly your stronger stroke? Yeah, butterfly was, I was very strong at butterfly. And it often meant that what, the other swimmers would do uh, in training for freestyle, I would often end up having to do in butterfly, you know, so you do your 2100 sets and I'd be doing fly instead of, instead of freestyle. And uh, 
<laughs> it was uh, <laughs> no one else was allowed to complain. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I'd say, I'd say, well, you've earned it. Holy cow. Okay. So you grew up in Scotland. You're a swimmer. Uh, you mentioned you have two sisters and a mom. Uh, was, was dad around? Yeah, he was. He was he was in and out of hospital a lot with mental illness, and um, that became very very difficult. And I think um, I think I think that inspired a lot of my curiosity. I'm a very curious individual. I think that inspired a lot of my curiosity around mental health. But I but I haven't really been able to articulate that um, that connection. At least uh, it took me quite a while to be able to make that connection. But it was something that I was always kind of interested in. Being watchful, I think, being watchful of myself and and how I how I think and how I feel, um, and then and then like that sort of transferred over to like being watchful of other individuals and how they might think and how they might feel. And I definitely had a lot of experiences with my father um, being very kind of unwell at times and experiencing kind of the extremes of the, of like the spectrums of uh, mental illness and having helped him navigate a lot of that as, as any son would. And, um, I think, I think that really kind of was very interesting for me. And then another peculiar fact was that I hated reading, uh, any sort of, any sort of like fictional stories or anything like that when I was younger, which obviously as a school kid, you're told to read a lot. And so my mom was very um, intuitive and perceptive of that. And so she would throw science books in front of me human biology books and biochemistry books and history and everything. And I would just churn through those all night. Um, so I think that also got me really interested in the human body as well. Oh, that's so, so was that the curiosity coming out again, just, you know, wanting to learn versus, you know, kind of wanting to go on a adventure in a fictional book of some sort? Yeah, I think I think like I've I've always just kind of been a fan of um, just like what like what's possible, you know. And when you don't when you when you grow up with like such finite resources or limited resources, you you become very resourceful with those, and and you're always kind of hunting for like you know like what what's possible, what's what's the opportunity beyond this. And I think that's a characteristic that. I've come to learn is really important in anyone that's achieved a lot in their career is just this ability to be mindful of opportunities to create opportunities. And, um, but like notice when there's an opportunity that you can capitalize on. Is that something that you learned, you know, that, that, uh, that opportunistic or, or what's possible outlook on life, or is that something that, um, is just sort of part of who you are? I think it it's definitely a more I like to believe like it's definitely a bit of an innate part of me I think but I think that you know perhaps I have a tendency towards detecting or noticing an opportunity but then that's just, that ultimately is a skill right and so that needs to be tuned and and nourished and and um and needs to be up leveled at times and so I've definitely kind of trained and conditioned that over the years is you know, and I think we all sort of possess those tendencies, or right? a tendency to be good at something. But if we don't, if we don't set ourselves up for success and explore that, and 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 condition that and nourish it, then um, we might have like a missed opportunity, as it will, as as it were. So, yeah. So I think a bit of both. I'm a big believer in in um, you know sort of taking that outlook on life. You know, the the what's possible outlook on life, but 
you know, overlaying that with, you know, starting to understand more or visualize more about what you may want or might, what you may want to do in life. And if you have those two things combined, I know this sounds a little wooji wooji, but I'm a big believer in this, that the universe sort of lines up to support you. And I think it's because you start looking for what you want versus reasons why you can't do something, right? Having gotten to know you a little bit over the, the last month or two, you seem like that kind of person, you know, you know, and I think that's why I'm so excited about our conversation today, um, because it's, it's so much about possibility versus impossibility. And, you know, people have probably heard me say this on the podcast before, when we're debriefing some of those, you know, longer endurance runs that I like to do, it's all about possibility. You know, I want to live in a world that's full of possibility versus existing in a world that's not. You know what I mean? And I think that there now I'm starting to sort of understand why I'm so attracted to to your to to you and to your thinking and, and your outlook on life. This is this is really cool. And, you know, so it sounds like your upbringing in Scotland had was a big influence on your life. Even your dad, you know, working working through things, you know, helping him with his with his challenges, swimming. And but then you also mentioned there's a school teacher that was in your life that was really influential. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. So um, I had a school teacher. I was trying to think back what um, what their name was, and I think it was um, Mrs. Mrs. Hickson. And I think it was when I was twelve year old, and and she was my mom would always, you know, go to like she'd always um, meet not always, but like she'd sometimes meet me at school afterwards, and she'd go to the teachers and kind of try and figure out what else I could be doing to like optimize you know <laughs> which i think like now it's like oh i see what was happening there you know sometimes it's like i don't want to be optimized right now and other times you know because she didn't go to school and so she she was always kind of felt as though i might be missing out in something and so she'd go to the teacher she's like what else can can he be doing and i remember um mrs higson turned around to me and, and said to my mom and i she said um you know like dan dan is a unique individual from the point of view of whatever he will set his mind to, he will achieve. So long as he's okay with like letting go of other things. And that really kind of, it it hit me as like the first part of that, which is like, if you set your mind to something, you can achieve it was very inspiring at that age of 12. And you're sort of going through that phase where you're starting high school and you're trying to figure out stuff a bit more and becoming a bit more aware, self-aware and aware of others. But then the part there was like, you know, as long as he's okay with letting go of other things. And I think what she was really alluding to at that point is like, I can be very like, I can be very obsessive and very um, persistent. And, and so often in order for us to like build our craft, we often have to be slightly obsessive in that process, right? It's sort of like, I set the goal of I want to achieve X and everything else can very easily kind of fall at the wayside in order to achieve that one thing. Um, and then we end up kind of in this place where we achieve that thing. And then we try and get everything else outside of that one craft, like other parts of our life and our social life and our well-being to then catch up with us. And so I've always been very perceptive of that in myself because I will kind of put the blinkers on and just full throttle go at something with a level of uh, naivety. So I'm often underestimating, I will often underestimate the challenge involved in achieving something, which I think can help me out initially because, you know, 
if I think if I really fully understood how challenging something was, then I probably wouldn't end up doing it because I'd probably talk myself out of it. But sometimes it's better just to, if we have this inclination to do something, at least in my experience, um, we just begin doing it and then we deal with the challenges as they come along. Um, so that teacher was really, really influential for me. And I often think back to that statement that she, um, that she gifted me many years ago when I'm in a situation where I'm trying to figure out what to do and how to persevere. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the more you let go of means the less you have to carry, you know, and I, I, I kind of like the, 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 your philosophy there. I mean, maybe I'm interpreting it through my own lens, but I like the idea of narrowing your focus on something that you really want to go after, whether it's a sport or a, a business objective or something with your family or whatever it is. And, you know, getting clear on some of those things in life that you can just let go of, you know, maybe they're less important or they're just, you know, they're noise in the background to try to approach that with a singular focus and maybe a a lighter backpack. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think it's really, it's, it's really something that's important in today's world because it's full of at least a lot of clients that I have, for example, it's, there's so many, um, potential distractions and challenges and everybody has a silver bullet idea and you know it's uh it's it, it's it's kind of you you have to really work hard to make your own process and and vet that process and validate it but i think that at least in my case if we're doing things that are contributing to others then it's 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 very easy to stay on that path because others will continue to kind of tell you if it's helpful or not. And so I think that's, that's why I love coaching and that's why I love like building tech and education and tools and strategies that, that help people is because you have that real impact and you'll know straight away, you know, you, you work with an Olympic athlete and you try a strategy with them and you'll, if, if you'll lose them pretty quickly, if that strategy doesn't work you know and so you learn you learn pretty quickly in terms of what works and what doesn't work <laughs> oh, i'm so curious to get into some of your work with olympic athletes i mean i'm just uh, i have a lot of questions i'm going to try to tamper them for now so we can hear more about you but there was another influence in your life um dimitri tell us about dimitri oh man uh dimitri he is a very special human um very extraordinary human so i was um I think this was 2014 and I'd gone on after school and studied and got my PhD and in applied human physiology and always been really interested in, in physiology and how the body works. And, um, I had a professor there, Dr. Richard Bracken, and he was my supervising professor for my PhD. And he taught me a lot about thinking critically and being perceptive, like even of the tiniest biomarkers you know like the the things that seem really boring so we would collect blood from our patients and measure them after exercise and you know we'd we'd have this whole analysis suite um like this biochemistry lab that i could spend hours in and he would you know richard would come in and say look at this potassium level and look at how it's changing over the course of three hours and i would have not noticed it initially and and it turned out that that potassium was directly related to someone's catecholamine production, which hugely impacted their adrenal function. And and that's what kept that diabetic 
alive when they were exercising. And so I became very perceptive of like these small biomarkers. But fast forward, you know, having done thousands of blood tests and look at biomarkers of all different kinds with professional athletes and other performers, I'd always felt that there was something really interesting about the connection between blood chemistry and and how the, the state of the mind and the connection between that level of potassium or level of zinc or level of iron and how we think and feel. Um, and then I met Dmitry, and uh, so he is a Russian medical doctor. Um, he has a PhD in neurophysiology, and he kind of spent years working with in, in Siberia in sh- with studying shamanism, but had taken a very like um, medical, pharmaceutical, diagnostic approach to that. And he created a technology um, to help him practice and measure the human body. And so he was hugely influential for me. I think, you know, in a nutshell, our work together, he broadened my mindset of how we understand human physiology. And one of the areas we started working together a lot, understanding the connection between health and performance and where those two areas become dissociated or entangled for an individual. So put that more practically, it's the idea that health and performance don't always go hand in hand, you know, and so an easy way to explain how this plays out for all of us is, you know, in in order to achieve something, we often have to sacrifice our sleep, right? And, um, you know, sacrifice those seven to eight hours a night that we really need. And we end up getting maybe like three, four or something like that. You know, and so that's not necessarily considered quote unquote healthy, but that is what it takes to perform at a high level sometimes. Now, if we kind of dig a little deeper into that, one of the other things that we started looking at in terms of the biomarkers were genetics and um, electrophysiology and blood markers. And we started realizing these sort of anomalies in professional athletes and performers and artists and musicians they're working with. And it was that often when we'd end up with a case of an athlete who had what would can be considered like a very unhealthy blood profile, they were performing very well without any sort of symptoms. And this was, this was really bizarre. And Dimitri came from the medical world, not being in the performance board for so long. And, you know, I remember him turning around to me one time and saying like this, this individual should be very sick or almost like dead, you know, and according to his data, and I was saying, though, they just they just won the world championships, you know. <laughs> and so this became a huge part of our work together. And um, and I started to zig more into this space and I'll kind of wrap this up. But I remember um the, the best way I can explain this is there was this um there was this Finnish skier. Um his name was Aero Mantaranta, I think it was, and uh he was world champion, Olympic podium. Um, for cross-country skiing year after year. Um, this was early in the 20th century. And um, he, uh, you know, he they did some urine testing, some blood testing, and they, they accused him of doping, doping because he had very high red blood cell count, very high levels of hematocrit beyond the norm, like way beyond the norm. You know, what you would say is typically doping. And he swore that he wasn't. And they um, ended up figuring out through some health diagnostic testing that he suffered from congenital polycythemia, which is an overproduction of red blood cells. And most individuals that suffer from this, even in this modern day, have to give blood 
once a month because if they don't, then the blood becomes very thick and viscous and then they're a huge risk of heart attack, et cetera. But what that did for him is he never needed to go to the doctor to, to do this removal of blood um, because he would churn through so much of those red blood cells that the bone marrow is producing. He turned through so much of them because of the amount of exercise that he was doing. And so, and it also enhanced his ability to use oxygen and transport oxygen, which is obviously so essential to endurance sports, right? Like cycling, you know, we know from the cycling world that EPO doping is, 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 was that was one of the biggest advantages that any athlete could get illegally. So it's, um, it's just this real interesting paradox between what the body needs in terms of its health versus what is helpful for performing. And I think to wrap that in a nutshell, it's like, I think we have some sort of innate instinctive drive, which is the body finds different things in the environment activities for it to do that is very healing and helpful for the body. In this case, like reducing, you know, it's like, oh, the body might produce a high dopamine response for aero to be a cross-country skier and he feels so good doing that and then he so happens to be so good at that that he wins olympic medals and there's a byproduct of that but at the same time that very thing that he's pursuing is keeping him healthy and that is something that i think in the modern day world in what i do is i'm always striving to do is find that connection between well what's healthy for you versus is that thing that you're doing healthy for you and how is the state of your body affecting your performance and, and vice versa. Yeah. And, and you, you, you said it twice healthy for you, meaning that, you know, it's hard to imagine that the, the general range is given if you were to go to say your, your primary care physician for a, you know, a blood test and get a, a general workup. Right. And then they look at it and say, okay, you fit in this healthy range or you don't fit in this healthy range. So you're either good or you're not good without asking any of the questions will tell us about your lifestyle or, or, what is it that you do for, for work or for sports or how much you train or not train and how much do you sleep and when do you sleep and all the things that go into it. And so it sounds like your background or your interest and the way you serve people through your business and through your coaching is to take their biological sort of makeup and help translate that into something personalized for them, you know, sort of like, help them paint the picture of how this is, of how they're unique and different in the world. Is that, is that fair to say, you know, versus like, Hey, you, you know, your testosterone is 700 for, for a male, you're good to go. Yeah. I, I like to kind of have this, I have this idea that every sort of experience that we have to a certain point, now we're not talking about disease. Now that's sort of a whole different area. Um, and that becomes more medical, but within this kind of, norm that we're discussing Adam it's like every sort of state that we can be in and whether that's a mental state or whether that's a physiological state can be useful right and so so it's it's just the case of trying to create the ideal scenario around you where that is useful right like you know you could look at it from a mental point of view if you might experience like anxiety right like we all sort of experience performance anxiety at times and we've all heard that you know, some anxiety or, or like our stress response can put us into a, a state of like freezing, right? Which is not useful. 
but maybe maybe at some point that was useful you know maybe if you're a meerkat for example it's very useful to do that because you 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 play dead right <laughs> so we could draw some connections to that but but maybe there's a way to make that anxiety that you feel useful and and i think the clinical approach to this is look at this more as a deficit which is there's something wrong with you to experience this anxiety and I think that that is valid at times, especially if people are really, really struggling with that. But I, but I do think that there is a there is becoming more and more of a space between the, the medical space and where someone is currently at. And that gap between there is, can you take how you're experiencing yourself and the world and the people around you in terms of this anxiety, and can you transform that into a state that is useful, that's helping you? And maybe you need to change yourself and how you think a little bit to do that. Or maybe sometimes we don't need to change ourselves. Maybe we need to change the environment that we're in, right? Like maybe, maybe that there's, maybe there's something causing that anxiety that we can change for the environment and we don't need to change ourselves because we all have the ability to change, but it's, it's not easy to change, you know, and it's a lot of hard work versus if we could change something in our environment first, then then that's really, really key. And I think from, you know, from what I understand from what you guys at BFF do, I think that's what you do very well is also going into the environment understanding, wow, like let us look at the lay of the land here organizationally, structurally, and, and, and let's see what we can optimize within that space first, as well as looking at the human, if I'm right in saying. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's, you see that a lot. It's, it's sometimes it's easier to see from the outside looking in where uh, an individual or a team perhaps in the business world may be trying to get a different result and they can't understand why it's not happening, right? But their environment may be set up in such a way that there's a big blocker. And I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, so I'm not just talking vaguely here, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But you know, I guess the point of it all is, is sometimes it's hard to see that yourself when you're living inside the situation. And so I think there's, there's a lot of value in having somebody like yourself or, or a coach or an advisor or a mentor that can help you see your own environment or your own perspective or your own mindset through their lens in service to where you'd like to be, you know, because it's, it's easier to sometimes see what those blockers are um, or, or to get clarity on what it is. But Dan, tell us like, so, so you went to school, you, you got a PhD in human physiology, then, then what? Well, well, while I was doing my PhD, it was a very, a very um, as you can probably tell, a very like, I don't just like doing one thing at a time. So I'll read, five, I'll read five books at once. I'll study three different areas at once and that kind of thing. So while I was at the end of my PhD, my PhD was very clinical um, but I'd, I'd also been working at that time. I'd be very fortunate to be around a lot of Olympic level athletes. And I'd work with a lot of um, the endurance sports, Olympians, triathlon, cross country running, um, like worked in that space. And then towards the last year and a half of my PhD, which is essentially a lot of writing. Um, and that kind of drives me a little crazy to do that much writing. And I like to be out in the world. And that's very much like, in at your desk all day every day <laughs> 100% agree you're speaking my language yeah yeah so um so I wanted to be out more and I wanted to see what's going on and so I you know naturally started looking at other projects and I ended up meeting this um this coach who was in San Francisco and he had a group of 
triathletes and there were um, Ironman athletes, some Olympic distance, but mainly Ironman, half Ironman, 70.3. And I ended up creating um, some algorithms for him to predict injury and illness in his athlete and ultimately try and prevent burnout, um, which I was very interested in and keep maintain health in his athletes. And um, that was really fun. And then he ended up putting me in touch with a company called Red Bull, as we know, the energy drink. And the next thing you know, they, they reached out to me and I um, had this uh, Aussie guy give me a call. Andy Walsh was his name and he was the director of the program at the time. And Red Bull had this high performance program. Essentially, Red Bull sponsored a thousand athletes around the world. And this high performance program is almost like a 007 Q branch for these athletes. So they try and optimize athletes in every possible way that's unrelated to the drink itself, to the energy drink itself. And, you know, he called me up and he was like, oh, I heard about these, this work that you were doing. And then they ended up plucking me out of my PhD for a little while. I went back and finished it. But yeah, so I ended up working with Red Bull for a little bit. We did some projects where we were looking at different strategies to change the perception of effort that people have, that endurance athletes had when they're performing. Because if you can change someone's perception of how hard they're pushing, they'll often, in a very motivated state, push harder. So if you can change their perception, you can get a natural performance benefit. So, so say more about that. Now, I'm, I'm particularly interested here because, you know, as you know, I, I, I like endurance sports. So when you say change, change the perception of effort, you're not necessarily changing like they're, you're not bringing down their heart rate or their actual like biological or physiological effort at a certain pace or, or what have you. It's, it's just how they view themselves in that effort. Is that it's a tricky one. So for example, like if you look at something really simple like caffeine, so for a long time, we used to think that caffeine had its performance enhancing effects because of, because it would change the cell's metabolism. So we'd be more equipped to use fats as a fuel. This is very like end of one, like controversial and not always the case. So then they started looking at other aspects of caffeine, which is, well, does it change like the neurophysiology? So rather than changing metabolism, it might change like neurotransmitters like adrenaline and noradrenaline. And, and one way to look at that is to look at like the nervous system and look at heart rate, for example, and does caffeine change heart rate? And in some individuals, caffeine will change your heart rate when you exercise and some athletes, it won't. And just like being sedentary as well for me, if I drink caffeine and I'm sedentary, I will have a racing heart rate. But but for other individuals, you know, like an Italian, for example, I feel like they are drinking it before they go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have a, so in the multi-day ultras, I, I'll have a cup of coffee in the morning, but it's, I love coffee and I don't get jittery and it doesn't necessarily wake me up, but I love the I love the ceremony of, of making coffee in the morning at home and the ritual of, you know, a, a morning routine that involves coffee and reading and whatnot. And now let's just say the coffee in, in most of these ultras isn't, you know, that great. Sometimes it's just, you know, an instant coffee, but I love the, the process of just before dawn having a cup of coffee. And it's like, you know, it's almost like a gift to yourself. So I, I continue to do it uh, in, in ultras, you know, and, and kind of stay in that routine, which is pretty cool. Um, so you're at Red Bull. How long were you at Red Bull? 
I was at Red Bull for about seven years in total. Yeah. And um, I essentially did everything under the sun to figure out how to help athletes perform better. So yeah, just to kind of wrap in that last story, but yeah, we ended up using magnets. And so we'd use magnets to adjust someone's perception. We had no physiological change that we could measure, but we were able to take a few of those athletes and change their perception of how hard they were working. Um, even though those internal physiological markers stayed the same, so heart rate stayed the same, metabol- metab- metabolic markers stayed the same. And so it was just that not, either we can't measure it or some part of their mind was like, oh, this feels easier. you know. And, and I think that goes a long way. Like a lot of times in leadership, a lot of times in coaching, if we can reduce how difficult something feels for someone, they'll all often that will often like boost self-esteem and boost confidence, right? We all heard of like social buffering within the workplace and how we can sort of help each other out within a team. And so that's what a coach does really well. That's what a leader does really well. But yeah, so after Red Bull, I started working a lot with people outside of Red Bull and business executives and some actors and um, ended up working a lot with surgeons and ended up working with several groups of surgeons over several years and co-founded a program for Mount Sinai with their neurosurgery department. And that was a whole new area of learning for me. And essentially taking a lot of the same approach that I'd applied with athletes in terms of health performance optimization and applying that same, those same principles to residents and hospitals, to doctors, to you know, like New York level, some some of New York's greatest um, neurosurgeons who are doing spinal surgery, brain surgery, these kind of things, and seeing if we can make an impact there. And we did. We 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 um we we got some great great results from those types of programs. And I I learned a lot in terms of like what it's like to work in that space. Can you can you give us it like just sort of like a general feel of what those programs include is it is it like one-on-one time with these neurosurgeons is there is there a group you know coaching that goes on or what what is a program like that what does it mean what does it do how do you how does it work in the athlete world measuring performance is kind of like the place where you start you know and it's very easy to do that in most sports apart from some of the extreme sports which are more subjective so you know did you get stronger did you get better did you get faster right you know did, or maybe you didn't maybe you got slower and so it's really easy to stopwatch etc to measure these things in sport but in neurosurgery it's a little more complicated than that in medicine it's more complicated than that you know like one of the main markers that they can use in terms of performance is the patient and what kind of progress they make but this is a very kind of nuanced measurement because there's so many different factors involved there. So the way that the coaching program started was, can we measure performance in neurosurgery and can we collect some real metrics around that? And the way that I do that is I look at kind of like this discovery phase of, well, let's see like what sort of external outer world kind of markers that we can use to characterize performance are. You know, so that might be some KPIs that need to be hit within the organization. That might be like certain levels of proficiency that you're expected to have and skill levels like hard skills. 
that you're expected to have. And these are all very specific to every industry. So in medicine, they're very specific, right? Like suturing, you need to be at a certain level of skill in terms of suturing in neurosurgery. And if you're not at that level of skill, like you're just not going to progress through your residency. But where it gets more difficult and more kind of nuanced and intangible is like the soft skills um, in terms of the different states that you're able to access mentally, emotionally, and socially, and the different soft skills you need to be able to develop. So one of the big soft skills that they need to develop within neurosurgery, for example, is their ability to visualize, visualize like the brain, for example, in a three-dimensional space. Um, so if you imagine you have a patient on a table and you need to be able to figure out like if you're in their body you need to be able to figure out where like the gps coordinates of where you are like whether it's in their brain or in part of their body and so it's 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 these very like i think it's really key like when working with an individual or a team i take a very individual approach and so i want to work with each individual to identify like what are these external standards that you need to be able to meet that's the demand. That's that's your performance needs to hit that, right? And that's what we're going for, right? And then you layer on your desires after that. So what do you want to achieve? Like you need to hit the standards in order to stay in your job. But then if you're ambitious, you usually want more than that. So what does it mean to be greater than that, right? And then once you outline that, it's then, okay, like what sort of soft skills do you need to develop internally in order to help you get there? And that could mean being decisive. That could mean building on self-confidence. That could mean being assertive. That could mean becoming more of a team player. And so that's how the program essentially works. And how my coaching works is to begin to map out those different soft skills against the hard skills. And once we can do that, we can approach that individual within the team. We can approach the team within the department in terms of creating strategies and a plan of action to do that. And then from there, we layer in the physiology. And so that's the approach that I take with physiology is then if we do biometrics and blood testing, it's not, a, it's not so much a case of, well, this is a healthy blood draw. It's a case of, well, is the biometrics that you're showing right now matching the circumstance that you're in? And what I mean by that is, is can you push more or do you need to pull back? Like that's the, that's the easiest place to start. So if you run a blood draw on someone, and you're looking for red flags initially, and you're saying like, does this person have the capacity to push more? And for how long? Like, that's the biggest question people want to know, right? It's like, it's like, oh, if you're really struggling with something, what do you want to know? You want to know like, what's wrong with you? And you want to know how long is it going to take to get better? And if anybody can ever answer those questions, then <laughs> you're very accurately, then you're, you're starting in a good place, but they're really hard questions to answer. So that's how the program kind of works high level. And you mentioned like um, maybe these people need to be more decisive or more assertive. Are there certain biological markers that may indicate that there's a reason why they may not be able to be more decisive or more assertive? Is there something physiologically that can be adjusted or, you know, sort of fine-tuned to help them be those things? So let's say that you have a good night of sleep. Right. And let's say tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you have a you have a very important meeting tomorrow. So you need to you need to you need to show up at your fullest. Right. In terms of like being focused, being decisive, having like good confidence. Right. Like if you think about that and you think about the state that you need to be in in order to like succeed in that meeting, 
what are you going to eat for breakfast, right? So my question is, is are you going to eat something that is heavy and warm, right? And like something that really kind of sinks in and, and is like th- that side of things, like big, dense food, or are you going to eat something that's like light and you're going to eat something that's maybe like a bit more zesty or that type of thing? You know, so yeah, what do you, what, how would you, everybody's individual and there's no right and wrong answer here, but what would your decision be to have a breakfast? Okay. A couple questions for you. What time is this meeting? This meeting is very early. So the moment you wake up, so let's say the meeting is, um, let's say it's a 7am meeting and it's only going to last 30 minutes. Okay. I would not eat before the meeting, but I would have already had a cup of coffee or two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, again, it's, it's not really a test, but it, it is in a way, because if you, if you told me like, I'm going to have a huge meal, right. And, and I'm going to like sink a bunch of like, you know, I'm just going to sink a hundred grams of like heavy oats, Scottish oats, right. And I'm going to put in some like banana in there and peanut and what type of thing, like everything. And okay. Like, are you, are you off to do like an endurance race in two hours time versus like, you need to be short and decisive and snappy. So, so it's very intuitive to think about that. And if we take that from like a physiological point of view, then to, to, to answer your question is like, we're, we're very in tune. I think when we're asked these types of questions, like what do we want to put in our body in order for like how we want to feel? And so I take that same approach. And so, for example, like if you need someone who is needing to be very decisive, for example, then I'm really interested in looking at like the levels of zinc and copper, for example, or lithium. Because these are these are minerals that are very like zinc is a mineral, but it's also being considered in in neuro articles is considered as a neurotransmitter, and it means that it has a very potent effect, like almost like an adrenaline, for example. And so, if you're if you overdose on zinc, you can become almost like hyper vigilant um, to the point where that hyper vigilance is helpful, but then if you really overdose on it then it can really kind of create like a lot of anxiety and you won't be able to sleep. You won't, you know, you'll almost be like hype. You could become hyper emotional and that can cloud your judgment. Right. So I'm a big advocate of trying to find the the nutrients and minerals that are important for the state that you want to be in. And that's not, and that, and that can be down to like the granular level, which is you have a meeting at 7am tomorrow morning for 30 minutes, or it could just be like this general mode that you're in over the course of a quarter or a year or something like that. And that's something that I'm also interested in is like figuring out what sort of mode you're in and how we want to gradually change that. Thanks for being here, everyone. At Better, Faster, Further, we specialize in helping leaders, teams, and organizations maximize peak performance. Our goal as a business is to help build organizations that execute effectively, to create high-performing teams, and to help leaders bolster their overall capacity. We're unique and we're different. Our real world in the trenches experience comes from building and scaling teams and companies of all sizes. When you partner with Better, Faster, Further, you're not going to get a recent MBA graduate. What you will get is a team with decades of experience coming from industry veterans, academics, and leaders who have been in the most critical roles of startups, growing companies, and enterprise titans. Not only do we make recommendations, but we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty right next to you. 
We truly believe that organizations are at the epicenter of social change. And by creating positive shifts within those organizations, we create ripple effects that have profound and lasting impacts on communities and society at large. If you want to become a more effective leader, if you want to create a high-performing team, or if you need to scale your company in ways that will stand the test of time, then Better Faster Further is for you. Visit our website at betterfasterfurther.com or email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to our discussion. Back to the example that you just gave about, you know, what would you eat before a 7 a.m. meeting? A little bit about, you know, sort of my morning routine. I eat the same thing for breakfast every morning, you know, and it's oatmeal with strawberries, with bananas, with chia seeds. That's what I have for breakfast every morning. And I, but I get up early, 4 a.m. ish, have a cup of coffee or two, and then train for anywhere from an hour to three hours, depending on, you know, what I'm doing. And then I typically will come home and not eat right away. I'll usually eat breakfast around 10 30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So now that changes in an endurance event. So if it's a 7 a.m. race start, and this is, let's say, you know, a multi-day event, then I would eat a little bit of breakfast, but I'd eat it two hours before the, before the race start. And I would eat a much smaller version because I would continue to, you know, fuel myself, you know, every hour throughout the duration of the event. But in business, if it's a 30 minute meeting, no issue there. You know, my mind is, you know, I don't need to wake up and eat two hours before a business meeting. You know, I can stay on my normal routine, uh, especially if the meeting is only 30 minutes. So I don't know if that, I, I guess all I'm saying is that, you know, it feels very individualized, like the work that you do, getting to know the person, what, what works for them, sort of like from a nutrition perspective, you know, how they eat, when they eat, what they eat, you know, how it works or doesn't work, you know, what needs to be improved or, or not improved, but getting to know them as an individual would be a really cool process. Yeah. It's, um, I tell, I tell all my clients, I say like, I'm, I'm here. I don't have all the answers. You know, it's like, you're, you're, uh, if you're my client, like you're a mystery to me that I'm constantly studying and trying to understand. And as I do, I then layer in the strategies and the more that I get to know a client, the better, because then I can become more precise and reliable and impactful as to what I can recommend, you know, and that's why I'd really like to go through this big discovery process initially. And it can seem like a lot in terms of like, kind of looking under the hub and and like really taking a look at your engine and understanding what is the lay of the land there what's the mechanics how are you operating in in this current state and then from there build out more of a personalized plan and that discovery process is is often like very enlightening for people because they often think about a lot of things that they're not usually aware of and that can be optimizing in itself yeah, it's like the more the more you put in, the more you're going to get out of any type of coaching program, right? Yeah. But that's oftentimes, I think people think about that. The more work I put in, the more I'm going to get out. But the, but the uh, there's another part of that too, and I think it's the more you're willing to share, to be vulnerable, to open up, you know, provided you trust your coach and you have a good relationship, the more also the more you're going to get out of it. That's the more they know, right? The, the more they understand, the more they can sort of be part of your your life versus you know. A proxy to it so that that's cool so you're you're red bull for seven years then you go on to do this you know amazing programs outside of red bull you know then mount sinai is just one of them what what came from there 
yeah. So from there I was working sort of, you know, I started at that point, I kind of organically started my own coaching business and, um, I was working with professional athletes and I was working with doctors, I was working in with some business professionals. And then from there, I started trying to find better ways of connecting, like building, like building systems and strategies and processes. And so I ended up building a technology, a software from that point of view. And that software was designed to help me track changes in the clients that I had, whether I was like leading a team, um, whether I was working with individuals and the software was very much trying to quantify some of the intangible things that I mentioned, like the soft skills and this, the mental, emotional and social states that different teams and individuals can be in. And so I started building this software called Lilu and, um, I built it for myself and it allowed me in a nutshell to just check in with 10 individuals, 20, a hundred individuals very easily. And so I could tell the software, you know, here's a few different areas that I'd like to focus on in terms of performance. Um, could be dealing with pressure, could be dealing with adversity, could be building, building, um, assertiveness. And then this software would essentially ask him whatever individuals I wanted to, a, few, a series of questions and, I'd collect that data and that would help me coach. And that sort of became more automated and automated over time. And then there were several people in my network that really wanted to use this software as well. And at that point it turned into a startup and fast forward now to the present day and we're, we're building upon this software and that's, that's the AI advisor and we're, we're finding new ways to amplify connection, communication, measuring, quantifying these intangible soft skills and mental states in, in teams. That is so cool. Um, and you gave us a little bit of a, like sort of behind the scenes look at, at Lilu a couple of weeks ago, and it was just fascinating. And I think we left more curious, more intrigued, wanting more time with you to see, to see it. And it sounds like uh, Regan's going to go, you know, take this program that, that we've been talking about on a, on a, you know, sort of a condensed test drive, but we'll get some exposure to, you know, the blood testing and the, you know, the biomarkers, Lilu, you know, as a, you know, as a coachee, which will be really cool. So I can't wait to, to be a voyeur on that journey that the two of you go, go on together. And I can't wait to see what, what comes of it. So there's, so you've got Lilu and then there's, is that, and forgive me, we've actually never talked about the correct pronunciation of your company. Is it Silica Labs? Uh, Cilicia Labs. Cilicia yeah. Labs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Cilicia Labs is, is, tell us a little bit about Cilicia Labs. What, what is that? How did it start? I would say it mostly started it, towards the latter years of working at Red Bull and starting to work with various other individuals, but outside of sport. But I've always been sort of compelled by this idea that everybody has intrinsic greatness, this capacity to change who they are, to be creative and to innovate, like to kind of think uniquely and and bring 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 some part of themselves, some sort of skill that they're maybe aware of or maybe not aware of and and apply that in the world and and also to empower people. I think everybody has the ability to create, innovate and empower other people. And that was sort of the point at which I decided to found Celestia Labs. And 
that became very much a part of the coaching that I would do. And I became really interested in working with people that were essentially very ambitious. Either It's either an individual or a team. And Silesia itself is an archetype. And so it, it sort of borders between creativity and logic and like rational thinking and, and creative thinking and that like left and right brain. That's kind of what the archetype represents. And so the idea was to work with individuals and teams in a very holistic way and to really kind of bring forth a lot of the learnings and education and training and eclectic experiences that I had over the years and provide that to a client and take an individual or a team through a process of precise like human optimization where we work at the well-being side of things and we also work at the performance side of things and so that became what we really wanted to do is how do we help you achieve greatness while also protecting your well-being being fulfilled in life being happy being joyful and i think that is one of the challenging parts of being like a modern day human yeah and i you know Personally, you know, I'm an N of one, but I, I oftentimes believe that that challenge exists, you know, inside people's minds, you know, that they, they believe they can't have all those things together as one, you know, and it's that, that shift of perspective, like you were talking earlier about uh, an endurance athlete, believing that they're working at a lower perceived effort. You know, and I, and I think that that has to do, my own personal opinion is that you can use your mind in the same way. You can train your mind in the same way you train your physical body. Uh, but I am curious. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. You, you know, you've worked with professional athletes, Olympians, world-class athletes. You've worked with high-level business people, executives, doctors, what have you. Does the mindset and physiology differ between the two? And if so, how does it differ between the two? I think um I think from a mindset point of view, from like a very a very tactical point of view. So so like there's emotional and social parts, and then there's like very technical parts. So I think, for example, like business professionals are often working under very tight, low bandwidth, tight schedules. So they so they really need to optimize for time. And they're often working in a system that is very demanding like socially demanding there's a cultural etiquette um, that they need to fit with and that can that can be an uplifter or it can be a strain at times and there's a lot of group dynamics that are involved there and and i've worked mostly with individual athletes um not so much team sports in the last five or so years mostly individual athletes and so the the mindset difference there is is I think is to speed up and to work really fast and be highly productive from the business side of things. And, and I think it's, it's harder to put more time on regenerating and, and switching off is very, very difficult for, for the business professional. And so I like to kind of think of that as like, well, you know, maybe a strategy there is just, there's no such thing as switching off unless you can really like, change your environment right like you mentioned kayaking right like that's how you switch off like you you become so immersed in another environment right like if i'm rock climbing there's no way i'm thinking about work when i'm like hanging off of a wall right like that's the way to switch off right but like but if we're in the same environment every day whether it's home 
whether it's the office, whether it's our home office, like it's really hard to switch off. And so it becomes a question of the mindset needs to change. Well, what do I switch on to something different? Because I'm going to stay switched on. Um, and so, so I think kind of that mindset in terms of like optimizing for time is really, really important, but then being very cognizant of how fast that you're moving. Because if you optimize for time, you tend to move really fast and then it can be kind of against the nature to then slow down. And if someone tells you to slow down because it's helpful, that can be really, that's, that's not a pill that most people want to swallow when we're like going hard in the business space. So does that does that make sense? Like, do you do you experience that in the business space with with your side? One hundred percent. I mean, we so <clears throat> I think we shared with you. You know, part of our our coaching programs, we do a three sixty process with all of our coaches, where they you know we we interview. Let's just say anywhere from five to fifteen people. You know, we gather feedback and and we build a report for them based on what we learned, and, and then we make recommendations. But I can't tell you how many of these reports I've written where one of the recommendations is you know, in essence, slow down, you know, slow down to go fast, you know, or as we've all heard, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, you know, and it's, it's really hard, but that, you know, what I'm interested in here is like with a professional athlete, or it doesn't even need to be a professional athlete with an athlete, anybody out there, I don't care if you're running one mile or, or 250 miles, recovery is in the front of your mind, Right doing your thing and then providing yourself the appropriate amount of time to recovery and recovery isn't just sleep recovery is you know active movement it's nutrition it's hydration It, it could be meditation but there's something there's mindset recovery too but what we're what we see in business is that people don't give themselves that's it's not built in it's just always more 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 i can continue to do this and then all of a sudden they're burnt out and they can't continue to do it anymore. So yes, I mean, in short, yes, 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 we do see that a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a real challenge because we're, we're often in the business space and, you know, having like being in that space quite a lot. And then also doing like a tech startup, for example, it's, it, it is this, um, I mean, there's always more, but I think it's one of the things that I think is, different but i think it's a useful lesson to learn from like the athlete space which i'm continually trying to apply in my own space as well is like the concept of periodization and i think you know an endurance athlete is very well aware of this and you know exactly like you don't need to be a professional athlete but we're aware of this and like the common periodization cycle is like three weeks on and one week off and so it's like i'll have a small training load for week one a medium training load for week two and a hard training load for week three. And then on week four, that's my regeneration. Right. And, and I think we need to take this sort of approach with, I think this is such a great approach, right? It's like, cause we can't always be on. And so if we can learn to like periodize different parts of what we do, then this, this is very helpful. It's like, you can, you, you can have, you can have everything you want in your life, just not all at once. And I think that applies to like recovery and performance, right? And so you might say, well, okay, for the next quarter, how am I periodizing my well-being, right? And how am I periodizing my work? And once we begin to do that, you might say, well, okay, like this is a week during this quarter that I'm really going to focus on my relationships. 
and and like really dedicating some time to that can and then you could say well this is another week where i'm really going to like focus on up leveling my nutrition a little bit and what does that mean well it might mean learning three new meals right it might mean that you're going to check out a different grocery store to like find some new better like sources of fruits it might mean that you're going to order some supplements and do a blood test and like up level yourself there and you know now within if you picked one of those things for every quarter of the year within one year you've now built a better system and process and awareness around how to up level your well-being and it doesn't have to happen all at once I think that longevity type view is what's needed within the business space that is taken for granted maybe in the athlete world because they have such a blank canvas and the year is very well like mapped out, right? Like this is like the Olympics is not going to change based on how you're doing, right? But, but, but yeah, so like I think if we can take our mindset is more on the business side is like what is longevity, from a business perspective, what is sustainable? I heard you mention that word. Like, what is more sustainable? And we have to switch our mindset towards what's a sustainable decision versus what's immediate. In sports, it's easy. It's easy to sort of put this. I think it's easier to put these pieces together because you you're training for a thing, right? And you're you're trying to peak for a specific event. But in business, there's ups and downs and events you know, big events, micro events that happen almost every, every day. And especially you, you know, I can imagine in the world that you were privy to when you were doing the project with Mount Sinai, I mean, they're probably operating it like a 10, you know, a nine or a 10 out of eight, right. All the time. Whereas an athlete in the sports world, you're asked to operate at a nine or a 10 for a short amount of time. I mean, I think there's a lot in there to uncover and, and work on as it relates to understanding what success and sustainability really mean for the individual in a given environment. Because I, I think it changes. Like for me in business, is it's different than for me in endurance sports, right? Sustainability is different. You know, output is different. Nutrition is different. But how do you optimize them both as they work together hand in hand? I think that that's, there's, there's some magic in there. And it's a really fun journey to go on. Yeah, I often think like it's it's kind of creating strategies around what is your most finite kind of resource, right? And so if time is if time is like so finite and that's the area that's squeezed for you and the area that's really, really challenging for you, then optimize for time, you know? And he'll laugh when I share this, but I worked with um an incredible neurosurgeon who taught me so much about the space in terms of performance. His name was Dr. Chris Kellner. And he, I've never seen anybody eat so fast. And, and he'll, he'll laugh at me saying that because he does. And, and he, and, he, and I remember asking him like, you eat really fast. And he said, well, yeah, like this is fuel. And he says, and I have all these things that I want to achieve in a day. It wasn't that I need to do these things. It's like, I want to achieve these things in a day. And I'm going to finish every meal in two minutes or less, right? And that was it because his value that he got out of every day was to maximize the time that he spends helping patients. And and eating food was essential to being able to sustain that, right? Like durable and to nourish ourselves is so important. But 
enjoying that food didn't matter. It, it, it's like, it, it might matter like at some point in his life, but at this moment in time, like that does not matter. It's just like food is fuel and he would eat so fast. And he had like literally to the point where like his technique, I was like, I need to understand your technique for like eating this fast because it was, and it was like, and you know, and I went in this whole rabbit hole of like looking at like speed eaters and um, because, because it is, and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's like once you start framing your day around that type of thing it sounds so simple but it makes a huge change um and you might find yourself with an extra 15 20 minutes and you could use that how you want right and maybe that's to slow down maybe that's to recover maybe that's to connect with your family or friends that's something that's key so i always think like maybe the lesson we're talking about here is like what is the area that you could really optimize for? And if you can pinpoint that, if it's time or something that you really want more of in your life, well, what are you willing to give in order to get that? If I want to spend more time with friends and family, I need to give somewhere else. And am I, am I willing to give on that and have that real conversation with yourself? I was sharing with you before we, be, before we hit record on this conversation. And I took my daughter on a river trip last weekend and, and we were with this group of people I didn't know any of them very well. Uh, they're all from the small town that we live in, in the mountains. But I was having this really interesting conversation with one of the women on a trip, who ironically is a doctor. We were talking about training for um, for long ultras and the time that it takes. And, you know, how do you fit everything in in a day? And interestingly enough, I, I sort of shifted my perspective on what a day really is to me. And this is a recent shift in perspective. This is probably within the last six months. I used to look at all the things I wanted to do. And let's say from the time I got up to the time I went, went to bed. So if I get up at you know four in the morning and I go to bed at 8 p.m., you know that's 16 hours. That's a lot to do in 16 hours, right? So, and oftentimes that thought of I want to do all of these things or the thought of I didn't get a chance to do all of these things would keep me up at night. And I would lay in bed for hours on end thinking, you know, mine, and I'm sure we've all been there. Your mind's doing somersaults, right? Well, now I've sort of adopted this approach where a day is a 24-hour period as measured by our standard clock right today. But I, I'm even getting the point where I'm letting go of what's in a day. And I'm, I, I look at it. This is just life. And so I'll sleep when I'm tired. But if I wake up and I'm awake, well, then I'm, I'm gonna, I've given myself permission that that's okay. And not to worry like, hey, if you get out of bed at one in the morning or two in the morning, that oh, you're, you're going to be so tired the next day. Well, if I get tired the next day, can I have an opportunity to take a nap? You know, and one thing learned in ultras is that sometimes a 10-minute nap gives you a complete mental and, physical, mental and physical reset. And so what I've what I've started doing is some days I'll sleep through the night. Other times I'll wake up and I'll get up and I'll read and I'll have that quiet time that we all crave and need and want you know, time for yourself to do whatever it is that you like to do. I personally like to read. So I may find myself sitting in front of the fire at 2.30 in the morning, reading a great book, right? And it completely happy, right? And then I may take a nap at 8.30 in the morning after, let's say, the first meeting. It's been a really nice shift for me. But again, everybody's an individual. And I think, you know, like the, the, the example you're just giving about the person who decided that eating, for him, it was gas in the tank. Um, and that, you know, by eating fast, that, that served him because there's other things more important to him in his life. And I, I mean, I, I commend that level of individuality, you know, I, you know, f- for people to say, this is what works for me. 
you know, and I have, there's a reason for it, right? And I'm connected to that reason and it's important to me. So I'm going to do it this way, right? And I, I just, I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said there as well. And it's, it's such a, it's such a wholesome reminder to give ourselves permission to be who we are. And, and we go through so many different phases throughout our year and throughout our life, you know, and just because we're waking up at two 30 in the morning all of the time, what you did, I think was amazing. Is like, you decided to put that to use. Right. And you were like, well, I'm just going to wake up and read and let's just see how that goes. You know, I think there's a huge amount of merit to that. And it's, and it's really, um, it's brave to do that because it's against the norm, right. Versus the other side of thinking, which is, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. I'm not able to sleep well. And, and obviously like if this constantly reoccurs and you're always going out two thirty in the morning and it's massively impacting other parts of your life, then yes, like that would be the time to seek that guidance. But maybe at first it's just go with it a little, you know, I think I remember reading about Picasso and um, he would, when he was in his most um, prolific phase of creating, creating art, he would have three hour periods. So he would sleep to two to three hours and then he would work for two to three hours. And he would just repeat that over and over and over again for multiple days. And it, you know, and I, and I remember learning about that and I tried it myself and it, and it's really interesting, like the state that it brings away, it's so productive. It's incredible. It's not sustainable, but I think I did it for almost two weeks. And, um, and I think, I think I lost it a little bit, but, um, but, it, but it, it's very possible to do it. And, you know, I didn't get sick and, you know, but you have to be willing to kind of curate your life around that, that phase. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So periodization doesn't have to exist just in training or just in the workplace. It can exist for you in your own life, personally, how you, how you want to use it, you know, and maybe, you know, you periodize things for a short amount of time and then you, and then you move back into a different rhythm of life. So, so Dan, bring us to, bring us to the present moment. Like what's on, what are you doing now? Like, and then what's, what's coming up for you? I have, I feel like I have my hand in a lot of different cookie jars and I feel very fortunate to be in this space, but yeah, um, like I'm, I'm going, I'm working a lot with, um, various teams with the tech, with the tech startup. Um, so we're developing the AI advisors. So I spend a big chunk of my week doing that. So I've put together, we're a small team, but yeah, we're, we're building out a tool that we'd really like a lot of teams to use to help improve performance, productivity, but also unity and that sense of camaraderie and communication within within teams. And then also the well-being aspect as well is hugely infused into this technology. So we're progressively working with different teams and groups uh, around the US right now um, in business, in healthcare, in sport, partnering with these teams, working with them seeing how this technology rolls out with them, looking for ways that we can optimize the technology for the team itself. And I think this is particularly important at this time because, you know, we're very hybrid in terms of the way we work now and that can become very socially disconnected. And, and I think providing a new space for communication across teams 
that is related to soft skills and mental and emotional and social states and that's related to performance and unity is really key. So I spend I spend a chunk of time on that. And then I still continue to coach. Um, I love I love coaching. So I coach with individuals and teams and I I usually end up coaching two types of people is kind of the way that I put it. And it's like someone who's an explorer who's looking to uh fine-tune and optimize and find like any little nugget um, of improvement that they can get, any little thing that they can squeeze more out of to optimize or achieve some very ambitious goal. And I will dive right into that and strategize and, and be your trusty psychic there from a physiological point of view and a mental performance point of view. And then, and then I have clients that are what I like to say, like the inventors, and they're being really challenged. They're being really challenged by burnout. They're being really challenged by some adversities. They're being really challenged maybe by some health health issues. And they might currently be pursuing some medical options as well, but they're looking for just a little more support there. And they're 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 really ambitious as well to get out of that space. And so I, I work with the inventors to help them reinvent themselves and, and redefine who they are and and what they want to achieve to find that balance and sustainability they're looking for. And so I'd spend most of my other time um, in that space as well. And I think it was, like you said, right at the beginning, Adam, is my interest in those two areas that brought us together. And we've started to find all sorts of areas of overlap. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about about what's to come for the the work that we've been doing together or the the sort of programmatic work that we're doing together. So I'm I'm really excited about about that and I can't wait to see see that come to fruition. I think it's going to be incredibly impactful for people to have that level of support but also that level of insight and tools to to make meaningful change in their lives. So that's exciting. So how if people want to reach out to you directly, what's the best way? How do they find you? You can find me uh have a website um, so you can contact me through there. It's uh, drdanturner.com, I think. Um, so there's an easy challenge reach out there. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's They're probably the two easiest spaces to reach out to me. Yeah, I, I'm also just about to, in terms of ways that I can help, uh, I'm also um, just, uh, I have a newsletter. So you can subscribe to that on the website if you're interested. Every Sunday I send out, a performance strategy that's very oriented around holistic human performance and helping people understand what makes them great. We'll link to those in the show notes for sure. Is there, is there anything else that you'd like to, you know, call out or, or, you know, plug or, or, you know, anything like that? I'm trying to think of other things. I, oh yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's any, um, uh, medical doctors listening, but I did put together an app. Uh, it's a toolkit, a digital toolkit for uh, medical doctors. Um, so we've taken about 15 years of, um, of uh, taken about 15 years of experience in the performance and wellness space and turned that into a toolkit for doctors. Um, so the idea is that we can empower doctors the same way that we empower professional athletes and help them through residency and help them navigate a lot of the personal and professional challenges they have. So this app is called the resident hustle. We can put a link there and, um, that's something that there's, there's some free modules in there. If you want to check it out and see what it's all about, 
And if you sign up, you get a weekly email as well with some free content and education and strategies and that kind of thing. Okay, awesome. We'll, we'll link to all this stuff in in the show notes so people have a sort of a one one spot to go to to, to find out all they want to know about you and your different um, ventures and and tools and resources and such. So that's that's great. Well, Dan, amazing. Thank you. This has been uh, an incredibly uh, informative conversation for me, and as you've got my mind, you know, doing somersaults in all the best ways. Um, so I, I can't wait to the next one. Oh, thanks, Adam. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks to you and your team for having me. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. I feel like we could talk for hours. So um, it was uh, it was such a great experience. Thank you. Yep, right on. Thank you. Well, until next time, Dan, enjoy all that you do. And, and uh, you know, thanks for being you. Thanks for joining us today on the Better, Faster, Further podcast. We're honored to have you here and to share these insights, stories, and best practices with you. 100% of our business comes from word of mouth. We focus on delivering the promise, building strong relationships with our clients, and then let the results speak for themselves. If you or someone in your network would benefit from speaking with us directly, please reach out. Our website is betterfasterfurther.com and we can be found on LinkedIn. Or you can email us directly at BFF at betterfasterfurther.com. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We hope you join us on our next episode. And until then, stay positive. Keep working hard, and we'll see you on the flip side.